Hello and thank you for tuning in to the Federalist Files. On today's show, Biden administration canceled an operation to deport convicted sex offenders, the Merrick Garland confirmation hearing, the war on women, and a Republican study committee's memo on the relief bill. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in. I have a huge uh, show ahead for you all. A little bit about Merrick Garland. He is going to be uh, currently he's going through his hearing for confirmation as the attorney general, who is the head prosecutorial officer of the United States. So I have a little bit on that, some very appalling stuff on that. But just to start off, Biden-backed immigration bill to let deported back in an amnesty for $20 million. This is a Washington Examiner piece written by Paul Bedard. It's, it states, A new Democratic immigration package backed by President Biden is already coming under fire because it would extend amnesty and citizenship to nearly 20 million immigrants, a population five times that of Los Angeles, and even extend an invitation to return to those recently deported. Uh, this is what former Trump advisor Stephen Miller states. It's extraordinarily radical. You can't even call it left-wing because it's actually nihilist. And coming as millions remain out of work and with the nation still trying to end the coronavirus pandemic, it threatens the livelihood and safety of border states said other critics. So, and then I was also, I was going on to read this, this piece and the stats have, have increased uh, pretty substantially. You have 3,500 people are being detained at the border, uh, every single day, daily. That, that's the daily rate, 3,500 people. This, this immigration package is, is absolutely outrageous. So, to begin with, we already have a problem with how much labor we have in the country available. To allow amnesty for 20 million people, and, and it really isn't immigrants, it's illegal aliens, and, and this is a law now, they're trying to codify the language to change it so it's, it's so you cannot state them as illegal aliens anymore. Uh, the Biden administration put forward a bill, now you can only call them, reference to them as, I think, undocumented workers or undocumented people or something of that nature but they're illegal aliens so we're gonna have 20 million people that that did the wrong thing uh some of them may be daca recipients they, they may have been brought here as kids but at the end of the day still i, I mean that's a huge appeal to emotion to begin with and i understand the situation's terror it's a terrible situation for everybody all around but we're gonna reward people and incentivize the wrong actions, the illegal actions uh, with this bill. And we already have a problem with our labor market where we don't have enough jobs available. People are getting laid off. People are unemployed. They're collecting unemployment from the government. And we're just going to add another 20 million people to the population when we already don't have, we already have a a deficit of jobs and a, de and a loss of jobs. And then we're going to add 20 million more people. And what's going to happen? Are they going to live off the government? How is it that we are going to support these people if we already don't have the jobs for our, our own citizens? And as well as this will lower the wage of the working class person. As always, I've, I've, I reference this always because I think it's very important that we hit on this. 
the working class and the people that are most affected by illegal immigrants coming here is minority citizens statistically because they're the one those are the jobs that are being taken the minority citizens jobs in general in, in a general sense are the ones being taken by these illegal aliens coming here next and this is uh this is this is some big news biden's got some heat i've seen people posting about it but it seems like i personally can't find a good answer for it i've looked unless if they've somehow retracted this but from what I understand, the attorney generals of, of all these different states, Republican, 18 different state attorney generals, they wrote a letter urging Biden to reverse cancellation of ICE operation on, on convicted sex offenders. So this was something that was instituted during the Trump administration. It's actually a leftover policy from Clinton back in the day, in the 90s. And it's recycled now. And now I think Trump, what he was trying to do is attempting to make it more actionable, put some more power behind it, put some actual force, meaning put some ICE officers behind it to give it some real pull and push. This was to deport these convicted sex offenders. That was the program. It was some sort of an executive order that Trump put through. So I have an ABC News 4 article written by Andrew Klein. And it, it gives you the story, the background here. South Carolina Attorney General Alan Wilson joined a coalition of 18 state attorney generals in urging Biden administration to reverse their cancellation of Operation Talon, which focuses on removing convicted sex offenders living illegally in the United States. The letter states, and I quote, According to data collected by Syracuse University's Transactional Records Access Clearinghouse, during the period from October 2014 to May 2018, ICE arrested 19,752 illegal aliens with criminal convictions for whom the most serious prior conviction was a conviction for a sex-related offense. In addition to South Carolina, the other state attorney generals are from Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, uh, Mississippi, Montana, Nebraska, Oklahoma, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, West, and West Virginia. Amongst all these states here, I'm trying to find one. Maybe no, they're all they're all pretty much red states across the board. I don't think there is actually one blue state here. Maybe Indiana. I don't really know much about the voting demographics in Indiana or Kansas. I'm assuming they're both red. Montana, I think, might have went blue, but Montana generally is pretty red. We're looking at over the last four or over, there was a four-year period from 2014 to 2018 where there was an arresting of 19,752 illegal aliens with sex-related or sexual assault-related offenses. This is substantial. Uh, and th this is something Trump talked about for a very long time while he was, the pre he was saying these coyotes, as in these, these gang members, these MS-13 members, were partaking in human trafficking activities and sex trafficking of minors and there was statistics coming out it was something like one in four uh girls are sex trafficked or sexually assaulted on their way to the border uh this is this is illicit behavior this is criminal activity uh, th this is something that's actually known, but the media tries to suppress the story to this as much as they possibly can. That this there's actual sex trafficking of minors going on 
from the border from from Mexico to the United States, whether they're Mexican they're Mexican residents or they are from Guatemala or other South American countries. So Biden shut this whole this whole system down through an executive order. Uh, it's just terrible. I, on on all parts, I've been trying to find reasons for why they did it. I don't really. All I've found is I found information saying, well, when Trump did his executive order it wasn't really that effective anyway that's all i found so far so unless if they're gonna maybe i could correct the record if they decide to walk this back and try to implement a better plan or policy to enforce this to enforce i I just don't now on the left and the right we should be able to easily here come to a bipartisan agreement that we are not in favor of sex trafficking uh, immigrants or, or illegal immigrants. Any anyone in general that is sex trafficking, we don't care if they're illegal aliens or if they're citizens in the United States. They should be prosecuted to the full ex- fullest extent of the law. Me personally, I think they should be either put to the death penalty or they should be in prison for the rest of their lives. So then, that's something that I actually don't really agree much with uh, in terms of if you've done your sentence in prison. There's some people that believe you should be able to vote again, and I actually I am very sympathetic to that position myself. Now, but here's the thing: sexual assault, stuff like that. No, you shouldn't be able to vote again. But those are also crimes that I think you should be in prison for the rest of your life, or you should be given the death penalty. But in terms of, it just depends, I guess, on a case by case basis whether you can bestow those rights back upon uh, those people that they were taken from. Anyway, so Merrick Garland, they ask him about, and and he goes through his little nomination. He got nominated by Biden to be the AG. Now he has to go through the process. He's considered a civil officer, so he has to be confirmed by the Senate. So they go through this little Senate hearing. They ask him a couple questions. Josh Hawley, in particular, asks him this question about border crossings. Uh, Check it out. Talk a little bit more about the law enforcement challenges at the border, which I know a number of other members have brought up with you. Just a, a fundamental question. Do you believe that illegal entry at America's border should remain a crime? Well, I haven't thought about uh, that question. Uh, uh, I just haven't thought about that question. I, I, I think, uh, you know, the, the president has uh, made clear that we are a country of, uh, with the borders and with the concern about national security. Um, I don't know of a proposal to uh, decriminalize but still make it uh, unlawful to enter. I just don't know the answer to that question. I haven't thought about it. Um, That's pretty brutal for Merrick Garland. Just a little background on him. He was a prosecutor during the Obama administration. He was also nominated to be a Supreme Court justice by President Obama near the very end of his tenure. He did not get confirmed because the Senate... The Republican Party held the power. Mitch McConnell gave him the thumbs down. Thank God at this... I mean, whatever you think about Mitch McConnell, thank God, because this guy is... He seems like either... I don't know if he's an imbecile or he's just not... He's trying... He's attempting to give his best answer without pissing the... uh, With pissing the least amount of people off. You'll notice he goes um uh, um the whole the entire time, which means he's very uncomfortable. He doesn't really know what to say. He's, he's attempting to process exactly what he's going to say to piss off the least amount of people. That's him on border crossings. And then what was very weird is he kind of he stated a double negative at the end. He goes, "I don't know if there's any decriminalization 
of unlawful activity. And if you decriminalize something, then automatically it's not really considered unlawful. So it doesn't really make any sense there. Very inconsistent. Now, that's him on border crossings, which pretty much means he it seems like as the attorney general, he's supposed to enforce the law. He's not going to enforce border call. Rather, if it's illegal, he just seems like he is not prone to uh, enforce it, which at this point, what he should do if he was really smart, he'd go out there and he would say he would enforce it. So at least he gets the he gets the nod from the Republicans in the Senate and, you know, the Democrats, no matter what, because he's nominated by a Democratic president. They're all going to push him through and let him let him uh, go in. Maybe he gets some Republicans on his side. I'm sure that the Mitt Romneys are going to vote him in either way, just because they hate the current. They hate conservatives. They're, we have Republican Party members that just hate conservatives. There's a couple. There's maybe three or four of them. Next, I have another clip from him. The same exact hearing. They ask him about domestic terrorism, and uh, check this out. Let me ask you about. Uh assaults on federal property in places other than Washington, D.C., Portland, for instance, Seattle. Do you regard assaults on federal courthouses or other federal property as acts of domestic extremism, domestic terrorism? Well, Senator, my own definition, which is about the same as the statutory definition, is uh, a use of violence or threats of violence uh, in an attempt to uh, disrupt uh, democratic processes. So an attack on a, uh, a courthouse while in operation, uh, trying to prevent judges from actually deciding cases that plainly is um, domestic uh, um, uh, extremism, um, 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 uh, domestic uh, terrorism, um, an attack simply on a government property at night or any other kind of circumstances is a clear crime and a serious one and should be punished. I don't mean, I don't know enough about the facts of the example you're talking about, but that's where I, I draw the line. One, one is both are uh, criminal, um, uh, but one is uh, a core attack on our democratic institutions. Uh, you guys like that little Trump in the background? That's all I could find. That's the only video I could find. There's for those listening. There's Trump in the background doing hand motions, as in this guy's full of crap. So uh, Garland, really, what he's what he's asserting here is that you are considered a domestic terrorist if you attack a federal court building or courthouse during the day, rather while it's in operation, rather than at night. If you do it at night, like Antifa did. And that's why he's getting this question, because this is exactly what Antifa did in Portland for a very long time. I think they tried to hold siege to that building for about a month or so. They tried to burn it down. They had many attempts to try to break down the fencing, break into the building, the federal courthouse. I think at one point they may have actually gotten into it. I'm not exactly sure. And that's the only reason he's getting this question from Josh Hawley. Josh Hawley's essentially asking him, okay, Capitol riots, January 6th were bad. Do you feel the same way or do you hold the same belief or opinion on the riots that happened in Portland? And his answer is, well, if they're during the day, it's a problem because then you are influencing or you're trying to overthrow a, our democracy. But if it's done at night when the court is no longer in session, then it's not domestic terrorism and it's not a problem. Just, just a thought, just a simple a reasoning here. If you are attempting to burn down a port uh, a courthouse, does that mean that democracy is going to happen the next day? Is there is there a core assumption that this building, once you burn it down, are these BLM and these Antifa rioters, once they burn down that federal court building, courthouse building, 
Are they not attempting to overthrow democracy when they burn down the building that now there's no hearing that can be held at that courthouse tomorrow unless if they can rebuild the building somehow very quickly? So time of place when you... It's almost like saying this crime... Oh yeah, if you steal from someone during the day, it's a it's a crime. But if you do it at night, it's no problem. That's really all that he's trying to say here. It's just the common hypocrisy for the, the left, really. And I don't really understand why the left cannot condemn violence, uh, political violence coming from the left. They've had a very hard time doing it with Antifa, BLM, same thing. They will they will not condemn leftist political violence. Uh, they want to treat them with impunity and almost act as if it's not really happening. And they try to do as much as they can to suppress the story, whether it's the media or it is uh, the social media sites putting little disclaimers on everything, fact checks. Once they put a fact check or a disclaimer on something, it automatically suppresses the content or it does not show up in the feed as often. So it gets out to less and less people. And that's the whole point of this whole thing. So next what I have... And this is something, and this is this is great because Jen Psaki ends up getting asked a question about that, about this, and I'll I'll play the clip afterwards. But child detention centers bursting at the seams. This is a Daily Caller article written by Kaylee Greenlee. So it starts off an emergency temporary facility in Carrizo Springs, Texas, was reopened Monday, and around 200 migrant children were transported to the facility that will hold up to 700 migrant teenagers due to permanent facilities reaching maximum capacity uh, with and, and increasing apprehensions of unaccompanied children. CBS News reported U.S. Border Patrol encountered over 5,700 unaccompanied minors in just January 2021 alone. And that's according to the statistics from the Customs and Border Protection, that agency. So the Health and Human Services, a government contractor, privately operates the facility for the Office of Refugee Resettlement Within the Department of Health and Human Services, the Daily Caller Foundation reported the facility received criticism for the high cost of daily operations and an alleged lack of transparency. So, this is something that everyone was ripping. Uh, AOC was hardcore on this. We don't want privately funded facilities at the border. We also don't want kids in cages. That's what's going on. I don't know about the kids in cages in particular. I've yet to see pictures. But they're, they're building more and more new facilities. And it seems like when Jen Psaki's actually pushed on this question, she cannot legitimately validate and verify herself that the kids are not currently in cages, which to me means the kids are probably in cages unless if they got rid of all the facilities before that Trump had and were built by the, these cages were built by the Obama administration in 2014, as well as the separation policy at the border was, was a policy from the ninth circuit court of appeals during the Obama administration. These are all Obama administration policies when they were not a problem. Now, suddenly there were problems during Trump and now look, they're going on during Biden. And it, once again, it's not a problem. Over 13,000 taxpayer-funded beds in nearly 200 facilities are available to migrant children, though around half of them are unusable due to COVID-19 regulations. The Post reported uh, around 7,000 migrant children were in HHS custody as of Sunday, filling facilities to nearly 90% capacity. So they're in a situation now where the facilities are 90% 
uh, at 90% capacity. The reason for this has to do some somewhat with the influx that they're currently getting of unaccompanied minors coming. And it's because everyone knows that the Biden administration likes the idea of open borders. They're going to have amnesty soon. So they're, they're figuring these, these illegal aliens are figuring that they can cross the border. The fact that unaccompanied minors are coming is, is a serious problem. Because then once they get put into the system, I guess they need someone to uh, to sponsor them. A family member. And they can lie, the family member. There's no blood test to indicate whether the people who have DNA that's matching. They can lie and say, that's my uncle, when it's not really their uncle. That was also that was going on. And that's why Trump was strengthening the border up. Because that was something that was additionally going on. And that was all just human, ch- child, sex trafficking. All of that was going on. So we have these private facilities, something that was Trump was ripped for, the Democrat Party didn't want them, we still have them, we still have private facilities. We, From what it seems like, from what is uh, being indicated by the, by the current administration, because there has not yet been a, well, the kids are not in cages statement, Jen Psaki, and you can hear her in this clip, what she says when she's asked about kids being in cages. Play three. Under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes at the border of kids being kept in cages. And Kamala Harris said, uh, basically, babies in cages is a human rights abuse being committed by the United States government. So how is this any different than that? We very much feel that way. Uh, And these are facilities. Let me be be clear here. One, there's a pandemic going on. I'm sure you're not suggesting that we have children right next to each other uh, in ways that are not COVID safe, are you? I'm suggesting that Kamala Harris said that this facility, putting people in this facility, was a human rights abuse committed by the United States government. And Joe Biden said, under Trump, there have been horrifying scenes of border uh, at the border of kids being kept in cages. Now, it's not under Trump, it's under Biden. This is not kids being kept in cages. This is, this is kids, this is a facility that was opened that's going to follow the same standards as other HHS facilities. It is not a replication, certainly not. The, that's, that is never our intention of replicating the immigration policies of the past administration. But we are... In- so there's no definitive answer of these are specifically legitimately not cages. It's, what she's saying is the policy isn't kids in cages. And the policy from the Trump administration was never kids in cages either. That wasn't the policy. That was just a facility. That's the way the facility happened to work out. Speaking of cages, cages are kind of the best scenario because they do build a strong border in the, in these different rooms. But at the same time, they do keep it open so you can talk to somebody right next to you. I think maybe that's the point of them doing that. I'm not exactly sure, but as I think that was Peter Ducey from Fox News asking the questions, as he says, well, okay, so Trump was condemned by both Kamala and Joe Biden when he did this, and now they're doing the exact same thing. What's the difference? And she just does not have a legitimate answer to it. It's just hypocrisy. I've been seeing people reporting and complaining about uh, journalism and how it's it's fraudulent, and then some people are coming out and defending journalists, and those people are just... They, they are uh, out of touch with reality and they make it like these journalists, essentially what they are is they're activists. They're just activists, most of them. For the most part, they have some sort of liberal arts degree or they have some sort of journalism degree, like they're big wigs. They they think you, the working class, are, are filth or human filth, these, these type of people. They're the elitist, Democrat, uh, reprobates, really. 
And that's the that's the way they think of you. They think you are a reprobate yourself, and you're a irredeemable or a deplorable, as Hillary Clinton would say. Next, what I have is Biden's the Biden administration's war on women. This is a uh, Breitbart piece. It's written by Dr. Susan Berry. She has two different pieces here that I'm gonna I'm gonna state, and this is very important. I think right now to the culture, the whole cultural phenomenon. There is no legitimate argument right now that men should be competing in women's sports. I just cannot find one. If you ask the P, if you ask the regular leftist or the regular regular lefty or left-leaning liberal, if you ask them what is fair about prioritizing men to women in sports, you're allowing men to compete in women's sports. There's there is legitimately I've not seen one good legitimate argument for this. And I don't really know, I mean, people are in favor of it because they're afraid of getting canceled by the cancel mob, but I have not found an actual, actually good substantive argument to support this. And that's because, and now what they're going to have is they're going to have this thing called the Equality Act. And uh, Dr. Susan Berry goes on to explain why this act really isn't for equality and it's just a way to push down everyone's throat men competing in women's sports. She starts off here. She states, President Joe Biden released a statement Friday urging Congress to swiftly pass the Equality Act, a bill that would eliminate the legal recognition of male and female sex, cater to gender ideology, and designate protection for the unborn as pregnancy discrimination. The, the, the protection for the unborn is if you say that you're not going to give a abortion to somebody now it would be considered pregnancy discrimination and you are liable to get sued so if you're a doctor and you believe in the hippocratic i think they call it the hippocratic method and you're not or you're just against abortion you are now going to be liable get sued for and then be either forced to do the abortion or forced out of business because of the uh because of all the the suing going on all the legal challenges the House is expected to vote on the Equality Act HR 5 next week. The legislation which would rewrite civil rights law to include sexual orientation and gender identity as protected classes would likely upend the national culture as Americans have known it. And this goes back to what happened with with the religious baker. I think he was in Colorado. I forgot his name. Somebody came in, they were transgender, they want him to make them a trans, transgender uh, switchover, or what is it, a, a cake, a gender reassignment cake or something like that. They wanted it to be pink on the outside but blue on the inside, or, or vice versa, to represent, oh, I'm, I was this, but now I'm switching over to this. He said, I'm not going to do that because of my religious, my religious beliefs. And then also he had a situation where they wanted him to bake a gay wedding cake. And these are people that purposely go in there. These are, these are trolls, really. They just want to start some, some trash. They want to start something with him so they can sue him. And that's what's been going on. He ends up getting to the state court. State court does not protect his legal. To begin with, if you're a business owner. If you're a business owner, you're a religious business owner, you're being told to make something. And to begin with, he didn't even make wedding cakes. So he didn't make wedding cakes in a general sense. And then the, making this specific one would be against what he viewed as his religion. So now what happened was it went to the Colorado State Court. It was the case, I think, was one on the other side. He lost the case and then he appealed it, got to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court ruled in his favor. 
And it was a very short. It was like 5-4. It was very close. It wasn't. So they're forcing this guy to do things that he thinks are against that are against his religion. And they're, they're also just forcing it because of uh, gender and, and sexual identity. There's nothing to support this in the Constitution, by the way. Making, making him make the cake or, or running him out of business because he doesn't want to make your cake for you. And that's, that's kind of what the problem is in a general sense in forcing... You can't force the worker or you can't force the business owner who to uh, give business to and what to do with his business. You can't tell him because then at that point you're not even – you're not an independent citizen. You're not a private citizen. You work for the government if the government's the one telling you what to do all the time in your private industry. And it goes on here. The so-called – and they're going to have a professional – Ryan Anderson, president of ethics and public policy – uh, he states in the, in a statement here, he states, and I quote, The so-called Equality Act is legislative malpractice that turns equality on its head. It isn't drafted as a shield to protect vulnerable minorities from unjust discrimination, but as a sword to persecute those who do not embrace new sexual and gender ideologies. Anderson underscored the tremendous impact the legislation will have on the piracy of women and girls as well as the punitive consequences to which faith-based institutions and organizations will be exposed at its hands. And this is what he states. It sacrifices the equality, safety, and privacy of women while privileging men who identify as women. If this bill becomes law, they'd have a civil right to spend the night in a battered women's shelter, disrobe in a women's locker room, and compete on a women's sports team, even children at K-12 public schools. Religious institutions fare no better. Religious schools, adoption agencies, and other charities would face federal sanction for operating according to basic biology and mainstream biblical teaching on sex and marriage. Outrageously, this example exempts itself from the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Pope Francis would be treated as the legal equivalent of a Jim Crow segregationist. End quote. This this would federally legalize uh, young boys being in the women's lo- the girls' locker room, young men competing in women's sports. The top three hundred track and field athletes in high school that are men would be able to beat the the Olympic athletes, the women's Olympic athletes in the entire world. So there is a disparity in terms of biological makeup that give men, and even even after transitioning, just because their bone structures, they have fast twitch muscle fibers, they're just built differently. Men are built differently than women in in a general sense. It would give them a huge advantage if if they switched over to the women's sport. And it really, what we're doing now at this point in this country, especially with a lot of redistribution policies, we are prioritizing one individual over the other this is not a fair and a equitable system we are we are going to prioritize now transgender athletes above women and then also prioritize them because then in this situation with the with the the baker in colorado you're prioritizing those people walking into the business over the business owner and that's what's going on now that's what the government the government's getting their hands in way too many things and they need to lay off uh and then when it comes to them actually protecting First Amendment, they don't really care. This isn't First Amendment. This isn't a, oh, you know, this isn't a First Amendment policy. When it came to Pollard getting kicked off and a bunch of conservatives getting shut down, no one cared by the by these uh, big tech corporations. That's all First Amendment stuff. There's also a lot of, uh, there's, a, there's an argument to be made 
these big tech companies would be nowhere near what they were if they weren't subsidized by the federal government, by the people themselves, by giving them special protections, where they are no longer platforms, they are now publishers, which I've gone into it before. And it goes on here. Anderson noted that any questioning of transgender medical treatments and surgeries would be labeled discrimination if the Equality Act becomes law. And any refusal to support or provide abortions would now be treated as pregnancy discrimination. He continues, And no one, not even the Act's sponsors, can tell us what would be required under the Act to avoid committing discrimination in the case of non-binary gender identities. End quote. We're going to be getting to this point, I think, if this totalitarian, authoritarian mindset from the government continues, we're going to get to the point where we are no longer able to say certain things and we're going to get locked up or we're going to get fined for just basic speech. And that's the whole point of having this label of hate speech, calling it hate speech, is the point is that we're going to start regulating your speech, you're going to get thrown in prison for your speech. At this point, you're you're now liable if you decide uh, to turn down dudes going into the women's locker room if you are to turn down dudes competing in women's sports you are now liable for this this if if this passes through which uh, house of reps are made up of mostly democrats senate very small very small uh majority vote there the the democrats as well so who knows what's going to happen with HR5? It's a serious problem. It's especially it, it's very con- it convolutes the idea too of men and women. It also convolutes the the idea of basic freedom. If you're a business owner, you should have the right to be able to serve whoever you want, whoever you don't want. Uh, at this point, but oh, and and next, this is this is the important part. This is also written by Dr. Susan Berry. This is another Breitbart piece that she wrote a couple of weeks prior. Study finds 78% of college students with gender issues meet criteria for mental health problems. And this is something I've mentioned before. Uh, People that have these gender identity issues generally, in a general sense, not all of them, but they have way higher rates of mental health problems, whether it's suicidal ideations or, I think, uh, self-injury, eating disorders, anxiety, depression. These are all things that run at a higher rate in people that have these these gender identity disorders or, or issues. And this is her going through the study. A new study that examined students who claim to have gender identity issues found that compared with 45% of students who are comfortable with their biological sex, 78% of gender-disturbed students met the criteria for at least one mental health problem. Research is affiliated with the Boston University School of Public Health, Harvard Medical School, and University of Michigan School of Public Health conducted the expansive study published at the American Journal of Preventative Medicine. The study, which included more than 1,200 college students with gender identity issues across 71 U.S. college campuses, found that across commonly used mental health measures, 78% of, g- of the gender-disturbed students met the criteria for one of one or more of the outcomes of depression, anxiety, eating disorder, self-injury, and suicide, suicidality. Having, and, and this is another stat here, listen to this stat, having gender identity issues was associated with 4.3 times higher odds of having at least one mental health problem. According to the study, which utilized data that came from the 2015 to 2017 Health Minds Study, an annual survey. Across all the the mental health measures used, 
the gender-disturbed students had a significantly higher prevalence of mental health issues than students comfortable with their biological sex. I mean, it's uh, these these stats are these statistics are unbelievable. And then I think I actually have a little bit of the actual stats too to support, or I have even more stats to support this here. But in addition, more than one-third of gender-disturbed students reported serious suicidal ideation within the past year compared to just one in ten students comfortable with their biological sex. The researchers draw the conclusion that their results demonstrate an urgent need to address the mental health issues of gender-disturbed students and prioritize their needs. Using minority stress theory as their foundation, the researchers suggest that gender-disturbed students may be exposed to unique stressors, uh, family rejection, or transphobia, which may increase mental health risk. So I will push back on that all day. Mental, men, This mental stress theory, they're saying, well, people don't recognize them as their gender that they want to be. They're oppressed. Essentially, they're, they're more suicidal. They have all these other problems because they're oppressed. If this is true, then why is it that there was not higher rates of suicidality to this extent during World War II in the concentration camps? Why is it that the Jews were nowhere near? These are the highest suicidality rates ever reported in the history of any subgroup of the suicidality rates in slaves in America, the suicidality rates in blacks back in uh, civil rights era times when there was some real oppression going on, some legitimate... Uh, some legitimate... Uh, legislative actions that were oppressive some oppressive laws that were that were currently ongoing why is it that the suicidality rates then weren't higher even close these numbers aren't even close then as well as during concentration camps during world war ii the jews were not committing suicide and they didn't have suicidal ideations at this level why is that and these and jews were being prosecuted but they were being persecuted for their for their identity same thing with with uh blacks in america back in the day I mean, it's, it's the exact same thing. So why is it that their levels aren't at the same rate? That's why I don't, I don't really uh, subscribe to this minority stress theory. So in 2018, Lisa Littman at Brown University set out to learn more about why the number of adolescent girls identifying as transgender at Britain's Gender Identity Development Service had increased from 41% in 20, 2009 to 69% in 2017. The researcher said she had observed teens without a history of gender, gender dysphoria, a clinical term describing psychological discomfort caused by a sense of one's gender incompatible is incompatible with one's biological sex were coming out as transgender after a period of immersing themselves in niche websites after similar announcements from friends. What she's saying here is she's trying to she's trying to allude to this that this is a social ph phenomenon especially uh, amongst women. Abigail Schreier wrote a book about this as well. There's a lot of stats behind this to approve of this theory that she has. Her theory is that the more people are around other friends that are similar, they want to assimilate with their friends. They want to fit in from a women's perspective, which makes sense because young girls are very driven by groups and, and driven by what their friends think of them. And they're less individual. They're more group-based. They came out as transgender after their friends made the announcement to try to, in the attempt to fit in with their friends, which, which makes sense. Now, in her study of 256 parents, which was condemned by LGBT activists, Littman found 87% of the young people were reported to have come out as transgender 
after increased time spent on social media and the internet and after cluster outbreaks, as in their friends had it, of gender dysphoria among their groups of friends. Most of the teens who ultimately identified as transgender also showed increased popularity with peer groups afterward, according to their parents' reports. Additionally, Littman found nearly two-thirds of the young people whose parents participated in the survey had already been diagnosed with at least one psychiatric developmental disorder prior to the onset of the gender dysphoria. For example, nearly half of the young people had already attempted to harm themselves or had experienced a trauma, suggesting the mental health issues preceded the reported gender identity disturbance. So if you had these suicidal ideations, uh, chances were that your gender identity was also also was grouped in there's some sort of correlation there they're related somehow then i was also reading there's other stats people that are objectified or people that are sexually assaulted as a child actually have higher rates of gender dysphoria as well and this is something this was coined the term gender dysphoria this idea of transgenderism this was this is the term that was coined years ago and then i think the ama came out and they got rid of the term and they called it something completely different. Now they make it like it's not a problem. Having gender dysphoria is something that's they've normalized the behavior. And this is why I say we do not, I don't subscribe to the appeal to authority complex. The idea, well, oh, uh, because they said so, we automatically, because Dr. Fauci said to wear three masks, we all automatically have to wear three masks. That's why I'm an independent thinker. That's why I try to tell my audience here. You have to think independently for yourself. You have to do your own research on things. If you really want to form an opinion, uh, form an opinion about something, you can't always count on these people that are considered the experts because they themselves have their own political ideations. Next, I mentioned this before. House of the House Dems they signed on to HR one. HR one I I did in a former in a former podcast. I explained it a little bit. I had a real clear politics piece. I'll leave everything as I always do refer to it in the show notes. And it's the same exact piece, just a quick reminder of what HR1 will do. This is written by Phil Klein, by the way, this piece. And this is a paper, this is a this is a law for a one-party rule. This will federalize elections, gerrymandering, which is to split up the different districts and voting for the House of Rep members, would now be the job of the federal government won't give funding to states unless they follow these specific rules. So you're going to have a lot of states following these rules because they can usually not run their own federal elections. They just don't have the money in the budget. And this implements policies from the past election that just happened. They're going to have unsolicited mail-in ballots, things of that nature. You can print ballots at home, which is a huge... uh, This is a huge mishap. and This is advantageous to people that are looking to commit voter fraud ballot harvesting as well and and now there's no limit on ballot harvesting so you can go from house to house knocking on doors taking ballots you can if you really wanted to if you're that person that's ballot harvesting you can modify the ballots if you really really actually wanted to election observers would need written documentation so anytime that they were observing they observed something that they disagreed with they couldn't just simply speak out and stop the the vote counting they would actually have to sit there and do some sort of documentation and by that time whatever has happened has already transpired that's just a little bit about it a little background information if you want to read it the the house dems they all approved of it so this is going to go to the senate i guess i'm hoping it's doa i'm hoping it's dead on arrival because 
This is actually directly against the Constitution. You can't federalize the elections, the laws, the times, the manner in which the elections are supposed to be done is the jurisdiction of the state thereof that is directly in the Constitution. So to me, if they're going to pass a law like this, this is the first thing is it's unconstitutional. If you want to pass a law like this, yeah, sure, go ahead. You're going to need an amendment to the Constitution, which is not going to if, – if they need an amendment, it's not going to happen. They don't have enough of a majority for that. There's not a consensus agreement. And I was actually just reading today that Georgia now uh, actually changed some sort of voting law that happened in the last election. They're trying to fix their system themselves. I think it's going to require, they're going to require ID to get an absentee ballot. So you could have requested an absentee ballot without any type of ID. So you didn't even, there was no identification behind who was requesting this ballot. It could be somebody in your family could have passed away and you could have requested a ballot for them, got it and filled it out. And just to go off this too, Ron DeSantis, he has some voter integrity proposals himself. This is on the Daily Wire written by Hank Berry. And he goes on, counties, and these are all rules that he's trying to instill in Florida. Florida had a very good election. The way it was ran, it was done. It was finished. They have a huge population, probably maybe the most top 10 in, in volume of population in the entire country. And they were, I think they were done counting very quick around 10 o'clock. I want to say maybe 9, 10 o'clock. So he's looking to strengthen those voter security measures. And these are just a couple of his proposals. Counties would be prohibited from receiving grants from third-party organizations for get-out-to-vote initiatives. And that's something that Facebook did. Facebook threw something like $300 million in for get-out-to-vote initiatives. Ballot boxes would be examined for their trustworthiness. Ballot harvesting would be checked so that no one could have a ballot other than their own or their immediate family. See, that's important. I was harping on that before. Vote-by-mail ballots could not be sent en masse. Only voters asking for a ballot would receive one. So there wasn't an unsolicited ballot in New Jersey. They sent ballots out to everybody that's a registered voter, even people that, that have passed away. I, I know people that worked in the post office. They were getting tons and tons of them that were people that passed away. And unless if they were given back to them, they don't even know. But a lot of them that work the post office, they've been on the route for so long, so they know. They know who has passed away and who has not. So vote-by-mail requests must be made each election year. Vote-by-mail ballot signatures must match the most recent signature on file. Political parties and candidates must be permitted to observe the signature matching process. Supervisors of elections must report how many ballots have been requested, how many have been received, how many are left to be counted, and must post over vote ballots to be considered by the canvassing board on their website before the canvassing board meeting meets precincts must have real-time reporting of voter turnout data so this is this is just due diligence to try to uh, add an extra validation to the vote over in florida i think at this point the way that that he's handled this whole situation around DeSantis, everyone says he's a front runner for 2024 if trump decides not to run a lot of people a lot of conservatives don't want trump to run again they want DeSantis in there. They think DeSantis is kind of Trumpian in his tactics, but he's he's a little bit more calculated with his uh, with the way in which he articulates himself. Seems like a pretty he's doing a pretty good job over in Florida. I don't think Florida is going to have any issues in this next election voting Republican. I think a lot of people have seen what he's done, seen how well the and the media attacks him as much as they can. They have nothing on him. And they've seen how good he's done in comparison to uh, Mayor Cuomo, or, or I'm sorry, Governor Cuomo. 
and he's looking like he's looking pretty good and i think that uh which is good that's a that's a conservative stronghold it seems like over in florida and would be a nice place to move to me myself personally i actually want to move there just for the taxes so next i have republican memo to 1.9 trillion dollar spending this is outrageous so this is a memo sent by i guess it was the republican it was like some sort of republican committee the republican study committee jim banks the chairman wrote this going out to the subject is democrats secret spending he sends it out to the, all the committee members and it's it's insane what's going on so job killing they have all these different portions i'm just going to read off a couple of the things it's it's insane all the stuff that they have and all the pork they have in this bill new federally mandated minimum wage would result in 1.4 million jobs lost with younger americans less formal education being hit the hardest unemployment benefits would come up to a weekly 400 dollars bonus on top of regular payments and last for up to a, nearly a year and a half under this plan 53 percent of americans would get effectively receive a raise for being unemployed these are all problems because we're gonna have to pay this in the in the long term not even really the long term probably the near future creates a program that through september 2021 would pay 85 percent of persons cobra premiums when they leave a job including by quitting subsidies would come in the form of an advanced refundable payroll tax credit is unbelievable pro-abortion standards and this is in the relief just remember this is all in the relief bill they put a bunch of stuff that has nothing to do with american relief democrats blocked an amendment with high language that would ensure that federal benefits used to pay for cobra health insurance premiums are not used to provide abortion services so they want abortions they want federally paid for abortions maintains ability for planned parenthood to receive ppp funds so they're going to receive these these small business funds planned parenthood is already subsidized by the government really what it is it's, it's just a government agency the way i see it are we actually we sit here and we pay for abortions we pay to kill children planned parenthood receive is going to be receiving funds on top of all of this it's 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 like giving it's through this bill relief bill it's like giving uh the dea or something extra funds through this relief bill and it has absolutely nothing well you can be on whatever scenario you want to be on or whatever position you want to hold this relief bill has absolutely nothing to do with planned parenthood as it has nothing to do with like the fbi uh promotes illegal immigration stimulus checks could go to families where a parent is an illegal immigrant allows subsidies paying for 85 percent of cobra premiums to go to the illegal immigrants and just on this minimum wage thing that they mentioned before i have a video clip here ro Khanna, what he has to say about small business small business that can't pay the minimum wage play seven how does this in your view affect mom and pop businesses who are just struggling to keep their doors open keep workers on the payroll right now well, they should be doing it by paying people low wages. We don't want uh, low wage businesses. I think most successful small businesses can pay a fair wage. If you look at the minimum wage, it increased with worker productivity until 1968, and that relationship was severed. If workers were actually getting paid for the value they were creating, it would be up to $23. So I love small businesses. I'm all for it. But I don't want small businesses that are underpaying employees. It's fair for people to be making what they're producing. And I think $15 is very reasonable in this country. So if you're a, if you're a small business that can't afford to pay $15 an hour, too bad, get out. Essentially, that's what he has to say. He's a Democrat from 
California, just to continue, keep schools closed is another one. They want to provide $130 billion on top of the already given $110 billion already given to the schools uh, to keep them remain closed. Students in particular are that are at risk and low-income students face lifelong consequences of these closures, which they do. This is, They're going to have the worst numbers. And we're going to see this in the future, how this actually affects these children, because this is the most, uh, it's, it's so detrimental because this is the most developmental part of their, of their childhood here in this, in this time currently to learn. It gives these labor unions, uh, unconscionably gives labor unions, including those teacher unions fighting against school reopening, access to PPP funding worth up to $10 million per union. That's so unbelievable. They're the ones fighting for, for kids not to go back to school and teachers not to go back to work. And now they're available. They can get their PVP loans, which they don't even need because these unions are still taking dues from these teachers. Because these teachers, guess what? They're public employees. They're still getting paid. Provides no opportunities for families to receive education funding intended for a student if the student is not being served by their school districts. Yeah, there should be a real uproar from the from the parents here, uh, from these, these teacher unions and... What I actually have at the very end of this uh, video here, I'll show you my last couple headlines. This Board of Education over in California, they all stepped down after they had their little press conference meeting. Or they had their own little conference room meeting via Skype. And they didn't know, but they were actually streaming it online. And they invited some, some people that they shouldn't have. And uh, one of these parents actually recorded them, caught them, and they all had to step, they all ended up stepping down shortly thereafter. Soft on China. This allows funding to, and, and this is this. I think I've mentioned this before. Funding to go to colleges that have partnerships with companies that are owned or controlled by communist China. Democrats reject a GOP amendment to fix this. Allows funding to go to colleges and universities that have partisanship with Confuci Confucius Institutes. Confucius Institutes are backed by the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. Next, I have uh, budget-busting spending. Over $1 trillion remains unspent while Democrats push Biden's $1.9 trillion budget buster, provides an additional $1.5 million to Amtrak, which is already sitting on roughly $1 billion. So it's given them $1.5 billion, and they already have $1 billion. And when they say that they're already sitting on $1 trillion, uh... Uh, unspent is in these specific states for example new jersey i'm pretty sure he's sitting on a couple billion dollars himself our our uh, our governor provides 30 billion for transit grants of which 26 billion of them would go to urban transit entities so it's like 86 87 percent of them 8 billion in operating expense debt payments and developmental projects aid to largely urban airports so this is all, this all, once again, this all has nothing to do with the people, all of these payments. $3 billion in aid to supplemental payroll costs for certain U.S. aircraft manufacturers. So we're just giving out these huge subsidies to, to the business, to certain businesses to keep them afloat, as well as state and local governments that already had these problems that predated, uh, that predated COVID restrictions. Provides a $350 billion bailout for state and local governments despite limited declines in overall revenue last year. So there actually were not huge declines and they're still going to give $350 billion of the $1.9 trillion. So that's, that's around 
That's almost around a quarter of it is going to state and local governments. Democrats on Education and Labor Committees blocked an amendment that would have required agency inspector generals to audit and report on the use of the COVID-19 funds. So they blocked a bill on the reporting of what you are doing with these COVID-19 funds that are being allocated to you, our money. They blocked it because they don't want anybody to know what their cronies in the government are doing with the funds. Congress provided $150 billion to the Coronavirus Relief Fund for state and local governments to cover pandemic-related expenses. It is unclear how much of this, the, the funds have been spent so far and whether the funds used met the letter of the law. So no one knows any of this. And, and maybe there should be some sort of more of a transparency, uh, especially from taxpayers. You should not think that the tax rates that you pay are acceptable they're not acceptable especially in new jersey the income tax rate but just the federal tax rate in general is it's not acceptable when you see this is where your money's going just not acceptable we're paying thirteen thousand dollars per person and in result you're getting 1200 bucks or what uh two thousand or fourteen hundred bucks for and you're paying thirteen thousand per taxpayer misplaced assistance Eliminates income limits that prevented that prevent wealthy people from qualifying for the Obamacare premium subsidy. So now anybody can get Obamacare. Crowds out small businesses with the most need for additional PPP funding by expanding eligibility to large affiliated nonprofits, labor unions, country clubs, fraternities, and sororities, and publicly traded internet news organizations. Now everybody can get a small business loan. Which, which in essence is gonna is gonna cut down on the small businesses that actually need the funding from getting it the funding, stimulus checks that would give up to fourteen hundred dollars per taxpayer and per dependent that would give money to some married couples with up to two hundred thousand dollars in annual income. So it's not really these checks that are going out. They're not what's the word that I can use? They're not comprehensive. They're not you know, specifically going towards one group. It's just a big overbearing, overarching, giving money to people that have been employed the whole time. People have money in the bank, people that, that, you know, really are not hurting. Everybody's getting a piece of this money would nearly triple to $10,000. The amount of annual investment income that a taxpayer can have and still qualify for the earned, earned income tax credit so I don't really know anything about that. Would increase federal subsidies through the child and dependent care tax credit, especially for high income earners. Specifically, this provision would move the beginning of the phase out for this credit from fifteen thousand to one hundred and twenty-five thousand. So if you make more money, this is a tax cut for people that make more money, and you could put more money on a tax credit for dependents as in children. So left social justice agenda provides $50 million in funding for EPA environmental justice grants, a thinly veiled kickback to leftist environmental groups, extends PPP funding to violent criminals, including those guilty of assault on a police officer and non-consensual sex crimes, expands Medicaid eligibility for five years to incarcerated individuals 30 days prior to their release prioritizes funding based on identity politics while ignoring rural businesses and communities, gives billions in subsidies and loan forgiveness worth 120% of debt to farmers and ranchers on the basis of, of race and ethnicity. I remember reading something about that one. Gives $800 million in additional foreign food aid. So we're giving $800 million of our taxpayer dollars to 
foreign countries during covid that's that's why this isn't a relief bill this is just another pork stimulus i mean not stimulus i'm sorry spending garbage bill where we're giving money all over the place and we're passing it around and they're not giving it to the hard-working american people the people that have truly been uh been damaged through this through this whole process here now here's the last part this is the liberal welfare wish list incentivizes harmful medicaid expansion by increasing newly expanded states base fmap by five percentage points for two years not only does this hurt state budgets it also brings our nation one step closer to complete federal takeover of our health care sector so they want more and more people on the health care the the public health care system which is horrible Everybody else pays for them. Increase the size of Obamacare premium tax credits for existing beneficiaries. Effectively place an excise tax on everyday Americans' pharmaceutical purchases by removing the Medicaid AMP rebate cap, which could create instances where drug manufacturers are paying Medicaid to supply drugs, which is unbelievable. So everybody's going to see increased rates on their pharmaceuticals expands medicaid eligibility for five years to incarcerated individuals 30 days prior that's something that i mentioned before provide additional subsidies for LIHEAP, a program ripe with fraud waste and abuse that president trump even sought to eliminate i don't know exactly what that is but they're getting LIHEAP is getting 4.5 billion dollars extends 15 percent increase in snap funding through the rest of 2021 Provides nearly $600 million for additional paid leave for federal employees and postal workers. So I don't know what this this paid leave is for for federal employees and postal workers just because they want to leave. Would increase the child tax credit by $1,000 per child over five and $1,600 per child over under six. For 2021, the tax, the credit would be fully refundable, would double the maximum EITC benefit to workers with no dependents. So I guess if you don't have dependents, you're going to get screwed in this. And if you have a couple dependents, it's, you're better off. Those are considered deductible. You're getting a tax credit for it. Would increase by 20% the maximum amount of federally subsidized wages for paid leave. Would allow self-employment people, employed people, to claim up to 60 days annually worth of federally subsidized paid leave. So the government's just going to be paying you to not work. Uh, remove state matching requirements for the child care entitlement of states grant program along with almost 20 percent increase in funding so if you want to have preschool for your kids you can have the government go through a government program where they'll pay for it would effectively eliminate the democratic butch lewis taxpayer bailout of pensions plan i'm not sure exactly about that i'm assuming that if the pensions go awry the government's going to pay them off to make sure that the pensions continue uh i guess whether it would be federal pensions or private at the end of the day these are all the things that are in this relief bill very few of them have to do with us the people the worker it's outrageous so so there's a lot of and this is something that's actually misconstrued or not misconstrued but just not seen from the average american when you your taxes you have to remember there's there's certain freedoms that are afforded to you in the constitution those are you know people fight over them but you know you have an idea of what they are but the other freedom that really is not emphasized to you i don't know if it's by pundits or what have you is economic freedom financial freedom the right to be able to work and have the government not take a majority of your paycheck or not take half of your paycheck from you and the government has consistently been doing this now if you look at right now cryptocurrency 
for example, Yellen came out saying it's illegal. It's used for illegal activity. Not that it's illegal. It's used for illegal activity. She's saying other things about it, which isn't isn't necessarily true. There's a lot of people that use it for capital gains and use it to make money. They don't use it necessarily specifically for illegal activity. She says that, and I'll tell you why she says that. She thinks they bet on the American people listening to them at all times. And we really should not listen to our bureaucrats or our elected officials all the time. We should really... Every single thing they say, we should take with a grain of salt and we should look into it for ourselves. They're afraid that you can go with cryptocurrency. In some sources, it is untraceable. They're afraid of you making money on your capital gains and not paying them. That's all it is. That's the only reason she's saying that it's used for illegal activity. And then the government the next day comes out and they make the statement that they're going to go ahead with a virtual currency. This is the only, the only reason they do all this. It's all to tax you. Virtual currency may be one of the most pernicious policies that I can think of. It takes the private industry completely out of it. When it comes to your bank account, you can instantly be defunded by the government now at this point. If you disagree with them, you can be defunded by the government. Now, if you don't agree with their tactics in terms of LGBTQ issues, you can be defunded by the government. If they can, This gives them full power over you. And that's why they want this virtual currency. They've been pushing this for years. Uh, they call it VC. And cryptocurrency is that. But it's not the government. It's it's decentralized platform. They cannot do anything to it. It is unaffected by the government. If you go on certain specific exchanges of cryptocurrency and you know how to set yourself up the right way, you can buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, sell, and they can't do anything about it. There's no taxation that they can take from you. And that's what they're truly worried about. They want to know what you're spending your money on. They want to know how much money they can take from you. Because they understand that financial independence is power. Your economic independence, that is power. You pay with your dollars. Your your influence, your political influence, and your economic influence is paid through your money. Through your tax, through whatever uh, the money that you make, that you work hard for and diligently for. That is how you vote. You can do that whether you decide to support, not support Coca-Cola anymore or not support McDonald's. That is how you vote. And they recognize that. They recognize that that money's power. They don't want you to have that power. So what they do is they come out and they try to demonize your way of obtaining that power. I highly suggest, I'm not you know, some professional, I'm not going to tell you what to buy, but I highly suggest you invest that money. And you make sure you get your money and you make extra as much as you possibly can. You need to get in on all of this before the government decides to defund you. So next one I have. Democratic representatives uh, ask cable companies demanding they drop Fox, OAN, and Newsmax. OAN is uh, One American News. These are all conservative news networks. This is a Daily Mail article. Uh, is written by, let me see. I'm going to pull the article up here. Because I didn't want to go deep into it. There was only one real sentence I wanted to source that I thought was very important. Uh, it's written by Caitlin Corral, a U.S. political reporter at the Daily Mail. So, Energy and Commerce Committee members Anna Eshoo and Jerry McNerney, which is obviously they're Democrats, they're demanding that TV providers drop Fox News, One America News, and Newsmax. And those providers are... Google's parent company, Alphabet, AT&T, Verizon, Roku, Hulu, Amazon, Apple, Comcast, Charter Communications, Dish, and Altice. They wrote to them a letter claiming, oh, they're just disseminating 
mis misinformation to millions through their airwaves. What are you guys going to do about it? And this is what I, I mentioned. I warned everybody about this before. When they realized, oh, we couldn't. They said, oh, you gotta you got to create a parallel economy. They have the right to shut down dissent when it came to Facebook, when it came to Amazon Web Services, shutting down Parler and kicking them off the platform. So... And Apple, they all. This was a concerted effort. First, you had Apple as well as Windows. They did not allow you. They or the Google. I'm sorry, the Google Store as well as the Apple App Store did not allow you to download. They took Parler off of their network to download Parler. Then next, you see AWS, Amazon's web servers, which Parler was on, dropped them instantly, and actually probably committed some malpractice that they're going to lose in court over. To be honest with you, that's probably what's going to end up happening over these next couple of years because of it. Then they say, oh, well, you know, no big deal. You got to create a parallel economy. Dan Bongino called this a long time ago. He said, okay, so we're going to do that. Guess what's going to happen next? They're going to go after the internet service providers. They will go after the ISPs. Then what? We have to now create a conservative ISP? How far do we have to go now? Is, is po politics, is that divisive that we can't live and we can't even have a differing opinion from what the mainstream media tells us to feel we can't do that anymore we're getting we're having our congress congressmen and women that are on the left are asking the isps to shut down any conservative uh dissent it's really it's it's outrageous and uh and they're not worried it's it's so it's so disingenuous from them and it's disingenuous from the media because they're not reporting any of this that's going on. And what I have next is I have, and this this is, I'm, I'm nearing the end here of today's show. I have a, a video, and, and this is all the things, these are the things that they're worried about right now. And this is all, like I said, the, the whole theme here is this is authoritarian in language, shutting down any type of dissent, shutting them down from the airwaves only allowing the propagandist left-wing news to play on ISPs and not allowing any dissent. Because what they want to do is they want to indoctrinate you into leftism and they don't want any type of dissenting views. And then they go and, and these are the things that they're worried about. And then we have a video here. Check out what Fauci has to say when they ask him, hey, when are these, when are these uh, draconian shutdowns? When are they going to end? Uh, when can we stop wearing masks? Uh, play clip 10. Of the year. What does normal mean? Do you think Americans will still be wearing masks, for example, in 2022? You know, I think it is possible that that's the case. And again, it really depends on what you mean by normality. If normality means exactly the way things were before we had this happen to us, I, I mean, I can't predict that. I mean, obviously, I think we're going to have a significant degree of normality beyond what the, the terrible burden that all of us have been through over the last year, that as we get into the fall and the winter by the end of the year, I agree with the president completely that we will be approaching a degree of normality. It may or may not be precisely the way it was in November of 2019, but it'll be much, much better than what we're doing right now. Why do you think Americans might have to wear masks into 2022? You know, because it depends on the low, on the level of 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 of, uh, of dynamics of virus that's in the community, and that's really important, because that gets back to something again that you said. If you see the level coming down really, really very low 
I want it to keep going down to a baseline that's so low that there's virtually no threat, or not no, it'll never be zero, but a minimal, minimal threat that you will be exposed to someone who is infected. So we all let this guy uh, take control of our lives for a full year, and he acts like the whole he does the whole handoff approach, but he'll make recommendations, and those recommendations he stated himself mostly, usually, are followed. And then he puts hands off when bad things happen. He has gone back and forth on masks. I've done a whole podcast on this. He's gone back and forth on masks. Then he actually went back and forth on double masking. The CDC pretty much changed their recommendation to what Dr. Fauci said when there's a bunch of other doctors that are dissenting to his opinions. How long are we going to let this guy make decisions for us? You just said, we want to we want to get the threat of the virus almost to zero before we go back out there. So you're going to go and get the vaccine. And this doesn't help. This doesn't want to incentivize anybody to go, to go get a vaccine. When you're told, hey, guess what? You're still going to have to live the same way. You're still going to have to walk around with a mask. You're still going to have to do the exact same precautionary measures that we had before. No one is going to go gung-ho, uh, enthusiastic to go get themselves a, a vaccine at this point what's going to happen eventually and i'm I'm hoping for this is there's just going to be a mass non-compliance from the people in this state new jersey probably not but in other states i'm very hopeful for them to just not comply with this anymore just keep their bars open as long as they want keep their facilities whatever just do do as you please govern yourself use your own threat analysis abilities your ability to cognitively reason and use that to make your own determinations don't listen on what the government and some bureaucrat says so very lastly here, last story I have, and this one's very important. Pennsylvania Supreme Court, uh, or, the, or our Supreme Court, ruled on the Pennsylvania case. They dismissed it as moot, meaning that it uh, that it didn't have, it, it lacked standing once again. So yet, still at this point, we have yet to see anything about any voting irregularities or voter fraud. We have yet to actually see a case in court where evidence was presented. It has just been declared as uh, moot and they turned it down they just keep turning down cases the the supreme court also turns down a lot of second amendment cases so it's not really surprising that this was done but most importantly the ones that dissented to this you have alito you have clarence thomas and you have neil gorsuch amy coney barrett kavanaugh they have been huge disappointments for our country Uh, we have a supreme court that will not call anything and there, it's it's almost like, what is the point of having the Supreme Court if you guys are unwilling to rule on anything and hear any... These, this isn't, oh, the case was heard and then the Supreme Court determined this. The Supreme Court isn't even determining cases. They don't even want to hear evidence. They don't want to hear anything. They want nothing to do with the, the, the last election. They want nothing to do with it. And this specific case had actually nothing to do really specifically with voter fraud. But moreover, it had to do with the way in which the Constitution or, or the voting rules were changed in in Pennsylvania by the Attorney General, by pretty much Executive Fiat, a bureaucrat that was appointed by Executive Fiat. It was changed unconstitutionally. And, and that's not something that, it's not debatable. It's written in the Constitution that the legislative branch is the one to determine the time, place, and manner of the elections. It's all in the Constitution. So this is what Clarence Thomas had to say in his dissenting decision on this here. So it was a five, it was a five three or six three, I'm sorry, a six three 
And he states, The Pennsylvania Supreme Court's decision to rewrite the rules seems to have affected too few ballots to change the outcome of any federal election, but that may not be the case in the future. These cases provide us with an ideal opportunity to address just what authority non-legislative officials have to set election rules and to do so well before the next election cycle. The refusal to do so is inexplicable. An election system lacks clear rules when, as here, different officials dispute who has authority to set or change those rules. This kind of dispute brews confusion because voters may not know which rules to follow. Even worse, with more than one system of rules in place, competing candidates might each declare victory under different sets of rules. This is the most important part where he says here. We may not be lucky in the future. Indeed, a separate decision by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court may have already altered an election result. A different petition argues that after Election Day, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court nullified the legislative requirement that voters write the date on mail-in ballots. According to public reports, one candidate for the state Senate seat claimed victory under what she contended was the legislative rule that dates must be included on the ballots. A federal court noted that this candidate could win by 93 votes under the rule. A second candidate claimed victory under the contrary rule announced by the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. He was seated. That is not a prescription for confidence. Changing the rules in the middle of the game is bad enough. Such rule changes by officials who may lack authority to do so is even worse. So these people, they lack the authority to do so. And the Supreme Court... Justice Thomas's dissent. I'm trying to find exactly. He said something where he wrecks them. He just rips them apart. He tra He just trashes them. Where he uh he he just goes off. If I could find it, everything you know, everything that pops up. Whenever you Google something, the first thing that comes up it's all CNN, CNN left wing sources, left wing source, and they're not going to show his dissent and what he said. Because. But what he's saying essentially is we have all these rules that are broken in the Constitution. The only people that can actually see the case when there's consti federal constitutional mandates that are broken is the Supreme Court. And it seems like we... we Oh, here, here's what he says. <laughs> oh, man, this is good. He says, one wonders what this court waits for. We failed to settle this dispute before the election and thus provide clear rules. Now we again fail to provide clear rules for future elections. The decision to leave election law hidden beneath a shroud of doubt is baffling. By doing nothing, we invite further confusion and erosion of voter confidence. Our fellow citizens deserve better and expect more from us. I respectfully dissent. He trashed them. What he's saying is, why are we here? What are we what are we doing? Which is right, what are we doing? And that is generally what this country what I have for you, all you viewers and, and any liberals, hopefully I hope that liberals tune into this. What are we doing right now? We are getting trash well and the government step all over us. We're letting the government uh, vilify or or to vilify the only free financial institution that we've seen in a very long time in cryptocurrency we're letting them do whatever they want they're going to keep us shut down longer and longer and what is it that we're doing about it they're talking about in merrick garland when they were asking him questions earlier 
I didn't even play the video either because I have so much content to fit in here. They were asking questions about what he was going to do about January 6th. And he started talking about even giving further powers to the FBI to investigate further into individuals. So more and more civil liberty violations by the government and violations of unreasonable search and seizure coming from the government in the future. What are we doing? We are getting worked right now. The government is working us. That's what we're we are getting screwed. We are getting taxed. We are we are working to give other people benefits. The government is redistributing the working class man and the working class woman's salary to people that aren't even here, that aren't even legal citizens. They are illegal aliens, and then they're all gonna have some sort of automatic amnesty automatic citizenship given to them by the bestowed upon them by the government it is absolutely unbelievable what we're doing it's unfathomable we we gotta we gotta figure it out here so to end i have i have these couple of headlines the charleston gazette susan johnson compares private schools to violent extremism and that one is just uh, it's just to show what leftists think about you and your kids. If you're in a hard situation, if you're living in a in a bad neighborhood, you don't want your kids to go to the public school program there. You want to uh, have your kids go to a private school that you think's better. You want to be able to get a, a, a scholarship for your kid to go to, away to school. The liberals, they don't want that. They want you to live in their liberal safe haven, or as they call it, or their liberal paradise for the rest of your lives. And your kid now is destined to go to this terrible school system where in turn they will get out of school and not be able to get a a they will not be able to get a proper education because they don't have the necessary skills to acquire uh the proper education to get a good job a good paying job in the future to support themselves and their family it is a perpetual destitution that the government is pushing you into by saying you have to go to public institutions and private schools are vilified and she compares them to violent extremism. She actually compares them to Al-Qaeda in this in this piece here. And then next what I have, Naomi Wolf, she warns of totalitarianism in lockdown. She was part of the Biden administration. She's very far left and she even came on Fox News to talk to Tucker Carlson how we're headed down a very dark road if we're going to allow the government to continue these lockdowns. And maybe I'll play that next episode just because I had a lack of time. But the U.S. spent $787 million on gender equality projects in Afghanistan. That one speaks for itself. It's a Bongino piece. Missouri County passes an ordinance stating that sheriffs can arrest feds who violate citizens' uh, gun rights, which is awesome. That's a Daily Wire piece. And uh, I have that Oakley, California school board resigned video. I don't know if I want to play it. No, I won't. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold off on that. Maybe I'll play it next episode. Biden removing sanctions from Iran. This is a TFIGlobalNews.com article. It's it's kind of interesting. Iran's saying that they're, they're looking forward to working with Biden. They think that they're going to... Re removing more and more sanctions from Iran gives them more play and more power in the region. And lastly, the New Jersey decriminalization of marijuana which that's why i call it decriminalization it's not a legalization because they're still not allowing you to grow they're not allowing you they're only allowing you to hold so much i don't even smoke weed i have friends that smoke weed they don't allow you to grow they only allow you to hold so much and you cannot sell it so if you bought a bunch of weed and you have a friend there that's right next to you hey man can i have some of that and you decide to sell him some that's illegal you made an illegal that is not that is not legalization of marijuana that is a decriminalization then additionally there is a triple tax 
on marijuana now if you want to legally buy it. It is you have a social equity justice tax, you have a local jurisdiction tax, and you have a state sales tax. The social equity, 100% of that tax goes straight to urban areas. There's like these 20 areas in New Jersey it's supposed to go to. And then 60% of the local and state income tax also goes to that same thing. Apparently, from what I read, this could raise the price of your weed that you buy by 60%. Which is just absolutely outrageous. That is not a, that is not a legalization of marijuana. You got worked. You left-wing voters, you guys that love smoking weed, which is fine. I don't really care. You guys that like doing that, you think, oh, look at this Murphy guy. He really cares about us. Look look what he did. He legalized marijuana, which he didn't. He decriminalized marijuana. And then he taxed the ever-living hell out of you. And now you are going to get, now you're going to have to spend 60% more on your weed that you want. You got worked. You got worked once again by a leftist governor. And I think there's some people that I've been noticing coming out of the woodwork, talking a little bit, complaining about what they're getting from this administration. And they were not fans of the last administration. So we have some left-wing voters, from what it seems like, are starting to turn the other way. And they're starting to realize what the, what the Biden administration is really doing, what some of these Democrats that they vote in, what they really are all about. They're all about higher taxes, taking away more economic freedom from you by, by taxing you higher. And then also taking civil liberties away from you as well. So we, we have to, uh, we have a lot, of, we have a battle ahead of us, folks. But I greatly appreciate everyone for tuning in. Please like, share, subscribe, let people know about the podcast. I greatly appreciate it. And I will see you all on Friday. Thank you.